0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is, let's say, on assignment. Um, I have a great guest to get to, uh, so I want to just start, uh, waste no time, and get get to our sponsor. Uh, I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional audio, professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them every day. Uh, Today, I was listening to the... uh, a posthumous debut album sadly by the uh the rapper pop smoke who was tragically killed earlier this year sounded great on my tweaked audio dot, dot com earbuds i would recommend it to anyone they're available at a low low price at tweaked audio.com. but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweak tweaked, to, <clears throat> tweaked and use the offer code pretension what makes a life a good one So my guest here uh, is someone, uh, I'm, I'm going to get into singing some praises once I'm actually talking, uh, talking to him, but someone who, uh, who, whose films have been a, a, a part of my cinephile development since uh, I was a teenager, since I was a budding cinephile, uh, and his new film, Guest of Honor, is available in virtual cinemas through uh, Kino Marquis, and that's uh, Adam McGoyan.
1: Hi. How are you? Good. I, I, let me just uh, say that your earbuds look really great because this is a, a, a Zoom conversation so I can yeah. see you. So you're plugging them and I will do the, uh, I, I will now describe them. <laughs> I can see your face. I can see the buds. They look amazing. They look great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that they sound great. So here, here I'm, I'm doing my plug as well, right? Oh, thank yeah. you. I appreciate this that. Talk, <laughs> talk about being a budding filmmaker. I had to kind of tie in the thing about earbuds. So there's oh,
0: it. yeah, yeah. Um, uh so so you are uh, I I take it you're in Toronto right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um I'm very uh very very wistful right now realizing that I'm not going to be in Toronto this September uh like I Hello. usually
1: it's such a crazy thing, isn't it? I, I I mean, the festival will have a physical presence and uh, there will be screenings, there'll be distance, but we're trying to preserve that sense of it being physical. And uh, we're really sad not to welcome all our friends from the States this, this year. And uh, yeah. it's a huge event for everyone, but like well, life continues, it'll, it, at some point it'll all return. But anyway, we're in hibernation right now.
0: Uh, and Toronto is, uh, uh, let's get right into Guest of Honor. Um, yeah. was that, w- was that film shot in Toronto?
1: No, it wasn't. No, it's actually shot in a city about an hour, just through an hour outside of Toronto. And, uh, it's a city I've always been drawn to. It's called Hamilton. Uh, it's, it's, it feels like an American city in many ways. It was it, at one point a more prosperous, uh, town than toronto it was a steel town and with the collapse of the steel industry you know you sort of feel that it there's something decayed about the city but there's also something that's emerging in it there's a whole new it has a rich history of migration from poles and ukrainians and germans and serbs at the turn of the century who were laborers in, in the in the various factories now there's a new wave So when I was thinking about this idea of a food inspector, um, I really always saw him as being someone who was targeting ethnic restaurants. And in that particular city, you have uh, a lot of variety uh, and just a lot of tones and colors. And honestly, to shoot a film like this in Toronto would have been uh, really difficult because the restaurants here are all so um, busy and full. And with the budget we had, we probably wouldn't have been able to have had the access that we found in Hamilton. Honestly, and, and I just liked the, the feeling of the city, and it, it just it, it uh, there was like these working class diners and clubs, and there was a grittiness to it. There's there are uh, there these fantastic factories and bridges. You know, actually, people cinephiles who have seen uh, Olivier Isa's films um, would recognize a clean. The film that he shot with Maggie oh. Chung was actually shot in Hamilton and it was taking a lot of advantage of these belching kind of like chimneys with flames, kind of apocalyptic, you know, Blade Runner sort of look, um, which we didn't really focus on. I mean, it's there in a couple of scenes, you can see the the, the factories, but it just visually felt right. And uh, I, I, it's funny, you should ask, I was just writing a letter to the uh, Hamilton Spectator, which is their newspaper, talking about how how much I love uh, shooting in that city. <laughs>
0: Uh, I uh, I I bring it up because I've noticed uh in a number of of your films and widely a, a number of Canadian films they it, it often don't Call out the—they don't specify where these movies uh, t- uh, take place. There are obvious uh, e- exceptions, but uh, uh, I- I've noticed that a lot in Canadian films. Is, is that a—is that just a Canadian like not wanting to be presumptuous?
1: Well, no. <laughs> I mean, it's very, very interesting. You should bring that up. I mean, I, I actually think in this film, I mean, the badge—I mean, we it says Hamilton. I mean, so oh, okay. we, we know that he's a Hamilton food inspector. So, um, uh, and, and he sort of flashes that near the beginning of the film. It's actually in the trailer. I I think you see Hamilton, but um, it's it's you're absolutely right that in my earlier films like uh, Exotica Down like say adjuster uh, speaking parts we, we, we didn't make a point of it being Toronto like people would be able to sort of see it was Toronto, but it wasn't strangely enough I would say Chloe, which is not a script I wrote but uh, was the first believe it or not the first foreign financed film shot in Toronto that identified Toronto as a city. And when I got that script, it was set in San Francisco. And I really tried to, you know, I'd seen so many films shot in San Francisco, which is actually one of my favorite, you know, from Vertigo to Dirty Harry. But it felt like I really wanted to show off uh, a certain weird, um, uh, unpredictable glamour that Toronto has in winter. And and I talked the producers into doing that. But um, I, I, I think in some ways there's a, It isn't that you're trying to uh, avoid it. It's just that um, in those earlier films, there was something kind of abstract about the state of mind that those characters were in and to tie them into a specific city felt odd, especially Exotica and Adjuster. There was this sense of these people floating through a place and not being identified with their location and being somehow detached from it, especially the adjuster, I guess, you know, like it just felt that, that the anonymity of the place worked in terms of the tone and the feeling of where the characters were at. Now, you could say that that might be the case also with this film, uh, Guest of Honor, because the, the state of mind that these characters are in, certainly. But, but, but I, I felt that the Hamilton identification was really, uh, it was important for canadians watching it because it's it's a city that they don't know it's it's actually one of those rare situations mm-hmm. where you have a major city so close to to, to, to another major city, and yet the people in Toronto really don't know Hamilton. Like, it's like it's just, you would cross over on a bridge on your way to Niagara Falls, but you wouldn't actually make the diversion to go into this other place.
0: <laughs> That's interesting because uh, I know uh, as a – I'm a big hockey fan, and I know Hamilton is often talked about as a potential uh, – or at least a, the, the people of Hamilton would love that to be an expansion city, and the argument in the States is like, well, Toronto's right there. Like, people – I guess people talk about Hamilton almost as it's like a, as if it's like a suburb of Toronto, but it,
1: it, no, it it's not. is no, no, yeah. no it, it definitely is not, and, and it becomes a bit vague as you're making that drive because you're, there's Burlington between the two, but it, but it's a distinct city. I mean, it's like a bit like uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul's, like those are two. Well, actually, no, it's even it's not that connected, even right. So right. I'm not sure what the American equivalent would be, where you have two two large cities so close to each other.
0: I um, I used to live in Chicago and Milwaukee is less than 90 minutes from Chicago. So that's maybe a
1: similar similar thing. Have you seen my hockey film? Uh, Wait, which? No, I don't think so. Which Uh, one? I did a film for Canadian television called Gross Misconduct about the life in uh, times of Spinner Spencer. I made that in the early 90s, and uh, it's, it's a kind of an interesting, I, I was a huge hockey fan as well, so it was a, a, my chance to kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a biopic, but it's very unusual in the way it's structured. I think it's on YouTube. Uh, someone posted it, but anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll check that out. Um, uh, yeah, speaking of your, I mean, you mentioned your 90s films, I'm just going to say that like, Sweet Her After came out when I, the year I turned 15, like it was, the time in my life that I was really starting to get into more serious, more art uh, films. And I watched that. I loved it. I immediately rented Exotica and then Felicia's Journey came out. Like right after I like had my driver's license, and Felicia's Journey was like one of the first movies I was able to like. I didn't have to wait for anyone to take me. I could just say like, "Oh, oh love this, move, this movie I want to see is playing. I can go see it." And I went and saw it alone at the age of sixteen, uh, and, and and loved it. So uh, I just wanted to, to thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, it's interesting when you talk about towns. I mean, uh, 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 Sweet Hereafter is also now that's an interesting case about locating the film because that's set in British Columbia. And at the time, it was the only province in Canada which allowed a lawyer to actually uh, do a contingency fee for his case, and which, because the film was based on an American novel, which is, and that's standard practice, I guess, in, in, in legal practice in, in, in the states. But in Canada, it's now more common. But uh, we had to kind of set it in B.C. to keep that aspect of the novel. But it's also the province that I'm from. I was raised in British Columbia, so it was, uh, and and I think that's also quite clear in the film. Though interestingly enough, in a lot of the American reviews, it was referred to as a border town. So that also is an interesting aspect because, as you know, most of our Canadian cities, major Canadian cities are within, you know, like 100 miles of the of the of the U.S. border. So the flow of the two cultures back and forth, especially in English Canada, is 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 monumental. Right. So so but that that film was um, uh, also, you know, like identified as as a specific, you know, D.C. location.
0: Uh, I, well, that brings me to a question I always ask first time guests, which is where did you grow up and how did that sort of affect your uh, relationship to cinema?
1: Well, it, it, very powerfully, because I was born in Egypt and, and moved to Canada when I was like very young, like uh, two and a half, three. And uh, uh, so my entire uh, early childhood was in this country that I don't have any conscious memory of. But my father shot a lot of home movies of our life in Egypt. And from a young age, I was watching these home movies. So when people ask me if I have memories of Egypt, I have very clear memories, but they're mediated images. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that has had a huge impact on me, that, that, that relationship between a memory uh, mediated sort of like sense of, uh, of the past. Um, and that, that blurry sort of space between, you know, an organic, uh, lived memory and something that is thrown back at you because of technology and uh that that clash that characters can have sometimes uh with with something that they weren't expecting to have to confront um and actually the way that those memories might be stored i mean so in in a uh, in this new film you know there's this very powerful moment where uh, the father played by uh, David Thulis opens a drawer in his daughter's bedroom. She is in jail and wants to know if, if she, he can find these ribbons at this rabbit that they still have one at a pet sh- show. But as he's opening the drawer, he comes across, you know, this, this cell phone that she's kept, which has this really disturbing memory on it. Uh, whether or not she intended him to see it or whether or not he's just sort of tripped across it, it has a really strong effect in terms of what happens in the movie and his whole journey. And it's it's something that the daughter would never have told him about, but he's implicated in. And um and so it's uh, I'm I'm fascinated by how these technologies have changed our sense of dramaturgy, for sure. Like they and in those early films that you mentioned, actually before uh Exotica, let's say movies like Speaking Parts, Family Viewing, Adjuster, those technologies become a huge part of the structure and the storytelling. Um and and certainly they, they they do in this movie as well. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I definitely uh, I, re- I really like that that uh, awareness of of the fact that technology continues to change our lives. I like that lives. I like that uh, in in all your movies. Um, and I'm wondering if uh, writing the main character Jim as a as a health inspector—that's such a his job is so analog. Like he's in person. He has he doesn't like open up an app. He has a, a briefcase that has his various, very, like, is, is was that an, an intentional uh, uh, sort of clash?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And it's very interesting now. I mean, of course, we would never have anticipated this moment we're in uh, with restaurants being closed and, and, and the sense of actually how analog this uh, uh, pandemic is in a weird way. It's all about physicality and avoiding phys- physical uh, uh, distancing and all those issues. Not avoiding, but observing uh, distancing. But 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 a sh- certainly a food inspector by the nature of their job is is, is very hands on. Is 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 putting you know is testing temperatures. Is is, is it's a physical process of inspecting these restaurants, and um, there is. Uh, Funny you should say that. There was, in, in an earlier draft, uh, more about the fact that people uh, can call in, like if you see something uh, at a restaurant that disturbs you, uh, you can make, uh, uh, like you can shoot it on your cell phone and you can kind of actually uh, uh, you can send it to a, a health office as, as a report. And, and the and we see that in one scene actually where the uh Jim comes to a restaurant with a recording of a rodent that someone has shot and sent them. There was more to do with that uh, and kind of that 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 play between um, this battery of recorded images that he's coming into the restaurants with as proof um and and his physical inspection but we kind of trimmed that back a bit, but yes, there's this uh sense of uh something that takes a there's almost a, something. Uh, very physical, and in a way, that's when we see the towards the end of the film what he ends up doing with the rabbit, and uh, you know the 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 that physical sense of dealing with the. Again, it sounds like an odd thing to say about the mortification of the flesh, like you know he 's there like in in this crucial scene, he sees like this this mound of dead rabbits that that are being processed in the restaurant, which is a definite no no that 's not supposed to happen but of course, that kind of seems to him like very um, um, ominous in terms of his relationship to this rabbit I spoke about before, mm-hmm. this pet rabbit that, that his daughter had. So these things begin to layer on him, you know, and these inspections begin to take on this other sort of tone as he, as, as he becomes increasingly more deranged, you know, like there's something uh, we begin to understand that, uh, that, that these pressures on him, you know, the, the bewilderment over what his daughter has done, um, his, his searching for some s- answer, um for her behavior, which 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 is so extreme um, and incomprehensible to him, his his attempt to kind of use these these inspections as a way of preserving some sort of order, you know, trying to trying to regulate other people's lives, trying to regulate you know our social condition through our food and what we're you know trying to preserve safety for his community, all these things are in direct contrast to how he feels his own life is being threatened, and so that made for a really interesting contrast and 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 I, I i felt that you know once i knew that i was working with david thules like you know like uh, which was just such an amazing moment when he responded to the script i just i, I got so excited because I, I i think all these ideas can sound really exciting but unless you have uh, an actor that's able to to really uh, absorb the possibilities of a role like this and, and, and to saturate it with a degree like humanity. I think when you talk about Sweet Hereafter, it's just these, I had such an amazing ensemble of actors that I've been working with and they were all able to just take these roles and uh, and make them into something so rich. And that that is such a satisfying part of the process. If you have your camera in the right place and you have the, the performance and you have the material, it's it's such an exciting alchemy that occurs.
0: Um. Uh, and I, I want to get into uh, the the cash you just mentioned, but real quick, I, I have to ask. You mentioned the you mentioned the pile of dead rabbits and processing rabbits in the restaurant. Did you have to do it? Like, did you do like a ride along with a health inspector, or did you like did, what sort of
1: research did you do? Well, no, I mean you, you do a lot of research. You talk to health inspectors. So the, the crazy thing is, uh, and I've asked, you know, two. Uh, they don't let you do that. They don't let you come along for the inspection. Um, so y- they will describe it to you. I-, I think I have a clear sense of what is happening. I have talked to a lot of restaurants in my research. Um, you also realize that uh, I-, I can't say there's a lot of corruption, but you know, there's a lot of. It's pretty slippery what happens during an inspection, right? I mean, there uh, and the personal dynamic. And a lot of restaurants were saying, you know, that 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 you know uh, an inspector might say you know oh i noticed that you're selling uh, biscotti or i noticed that you're selling you know and, and the idea would be that the restaurant might say oh why don't you take some or why don't you, you know like, uh. like help yourself you know and and so there is this kind of odd um you know there's a human element and you know it's not like out and out corruption i would say and i certainly didn't observe that but you you realize that those moments of contact shape the tone of what these inspections will do because let's remember that these are family-run restaurants, and, and, a, and a bad inspection report is really brutal. It's like, and and, I, and you know, in this film, uh, Jim Davis is obsessed with this notion of reputation, his reputation. We gather he was a former restaurateur himself. Um, we, we understand that that restaurant fell on very hard times because of a couple of tragedies in his life, and his life fell apart but he keeps talking about that when he goes to the restaurant. He keeps talking about how tough it is to have a reputation and how much he understands how damaging this report that he's about to issue will be. And he tries to kind of give this air of being, you know, sympathetic, but, but obviously there's something quite malicious and cruel in him as well. And, and it gives him this complexity. Uh, you're not quite sure what to make of him, but you understand that these tours are quite terrified of, 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 of what he might come up with. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and in my research, I mean, I, I did find like there are restaurants that you know have been destroyed by a bad report. You know, and uh, because on in Canada at least on the report it, it says, well, you know, if there were rodent droppings found in the kitchen, that's on the report that you read it before you go into the restaurant. So it's it's you know the, it's 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 there for all to see, and it's uh, terrifying, I think.
0: Have you eaten deep fried rabbit's ears? Yes.
1: Yes. I I tried to make that clear. I shot a film in Atlanta and it's kind of a Southern dish. It's kind of, I I had them in Atlanta. Um, They were as, as, disturbing as they you would think they are because i do love rabbits i have kept rabbits as pets when i was a kid and uh, you know I, you kind of know that the ears have this strange musculature and as you sink your teeth into them it, they are as gross as you would imagine <laughs> you know, like anything deep fried it just sort of is totally coated with this batter and you know you, i don't know what you're tasting at one point it's the batter rather than than the, the, the musculature and, and the tendons um, but it, it is a dish and if you look it up online deep fried rabbit ears you'll see it so you and i knew that people wouldn't believe it when they saw it um so i do have a moment in the film where he's looking it up online and and we're actually showing what you would see if you look it up but <laughs> but but i know that most people will think i made it up i did not it's it's, it's the real dish. uh
0: okay so i wanted to get back into the cast you mentioned this is uh, uh you mentioned the great david Thulis, and this is the first time you've worked with him and i also think it's the first time you've worked with the uh leslie d'olvera who plays his daughter um, so I, I, I'm wondering how, how did they come into the film? What's it like working with them as compared to what's it like working with someone like Peter Sirosi, your cinematographer, who yeah. you've really known for 30 years. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think that that it, it is a mixture in, with this film of like, like a crew, uh, you know, like the DOP, the cinematographer, uh, uh, uh production designer, my editor, Susan Shipton uh, my composer uh, uh, Michael uh, Dana uh, my DOP is Paul Rossi, not Peter Soros oh uh, I'm the, sorry there's, there's, crew of people, no, fine. there's this crew of people that I've been working with for a very long time there's actors that you people would have seen in, in, in other films uh, going right back to you know the 90s films my, my wife the actress Arsene Khanjian Tony Nardi uh, reappears in this Haran Alianak, uh, who comes way back from family viewing. So there are the people, but then there are these uh, like David is someone who you just dream of acting with from from the moment you know you, I saw him Naked. It's funny you're talking about being a, a fan. Like I, I was just such a huge fan of his for so long. And so there's that moment of uh, you know where you where you are able to you know send a script to him and pray that he he responds, um, and he did. Uh, Liza was someone, uh, it was just, I, we auditioned a lot of young actresses and she just, you know, she, I loved the fact that she had this, uh, on, on the one hand, this emotional availability, but there was something also mysterious and closed about her at the same time. And, and of course she felt like, uh, you know, she looked like someone like, you know, a, a, any, any young guy in high school would kind of fantasize over a music teacher who looked like that. And so uh, she had this element of, you know, someone who knew that she had this beauty and there's a way that she uh, would be used to dealing with people, uh, which I liked that aspect she was able to carry. And then she had this amazing ability to just move to the music in a certain way. And, you know, this is a very tough character that Lysa is playing because it's really, we're seeing these four different phases in her life that are woven in the film, you know, the woman she was uh, as a as a school teacher on this band trip, the woman she is when she's in, in, in prison for this crime, uh, which is very mysterious in terms of what what that crime was. And then there's this, uh, this extended sort of passage where she's preparing the funeral of her father Uh, which actually begins the film these scenes with luke wilson so she's in three different phases but then we also see her as a teenager and as a young child i mean that's another actor that's playing it but you know so i needed to have someone who was able to uh really differentiate these different sort of mental spaces that she's in
0: uh so uh that brings me to another uh uh uh, point which is that one thing your films are known for is is a a sort of non-linear narrative structure and and um you were talking before about uh, uh your memories of egypt being me- mediated by 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 cinema or or by you know home movies uh and that's one thing I think movies are are good at is 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 memories and uh i'm one of uh, i'm starting to think is that nonlinear storytelling a way of saying our memories our memories
1: are always with us well they are and, and film has this ab- extraordinary ability to blend you know, to show characters uh, who are constantly accessing this hard drive of memory, uh, sometimes for consequential reasons, but a lot of times for reasons that are just vague, you know, and I, I love that, that, that you can, uh, you talked about Felicia's journey, and it's full of those moments, you know, where it, it kind of goes, you know, the, mem- the the characters, those two characters are just floating in this space, you know, especially Felicia, she's gone on this trip to England. Like she's just, uh, there's a collection of moments in her life that she's replaying over and over again in her mind. And um, I, I think that film gives us wonderful access to that. Uh, it's quite fluid. I mean, novels can do that as well, but there's something about the, um, the way that film, it, it, it actually allows almost inconsequential moments to take on a significance because of the way they're placed and the way you use sound design and music. And you, you really can be inside the space, the mental space of the characters. And that's what I, I, I'm looking for in these structures is to try and give the viewer access to the mental space that my characters are actually experiencing as they go through you know these circumstances, very extreme circumstances in some way, where, where there's these, these unexpected pressures put on them. And they're trying to understand something about themselves as we're trying to understand something about them. So the viewer is very implicated in this, you know, it's not like a, like a lot of films where, you know, you can admire the beauty of the film, and you can kind of be lost into the film completely. I don't think you're ever lost in one of my films, because you're aware that you are, I mean, you can be lost, but you're aware of your responsibility as someone who's trying to put these pieces together. Um, so so that for that reason, the films have to have something that's seductive. There has to be a reason why the viewer is wanting to watch. So, you know, I, I'm trying to find this, this way of kind of a brew where you have this you know, mixture of performances and the visual kind of style and, 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 and the music, sound design, the way the editing works. That you're kind of drawn in, and you feel the sense of suspense. So, so often the films feel like a thriller, even though they're not. Uh, they feel like um, uh, you know. There's certainly aspects of melodrama, aspects of noir, certainly because, like, I think, in a good noir, uh, there's that feeling that someone is trapped in a machine, that they that and the machine seems to tighten around them. In this case, the, that machine is like this very sad circumstance where a father and a daughter, um, you know, are, are trapped in this moment that happened around the age of like nine, when she was nine. And, it, it, you know, the father, there's something that the father might have been able to tell the daughter to explain what happened. But there's no way that a father could have told a nine-year-old girl what was going on. And by the time he, he can, she has no reason to believe him. So that's a trap and and the characters are kind of it's it's almost as though the the further they go into it the more the, the you know the the knot kind of tightens around it. So um so there's that feeling of like something a tension that's being created. So you need to work with that 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 tension otherwise I don't think the viewer's attention can be held properly. And it's it, it's a it it's a it, it's a high risk venture, right? But I I I do I do um i'm I'm very lucky to work with these collaborators and this team, and we've been doing it for a while and and we um we kind of understand each other's contribution pretty deeply
0: uh well I know we have to wrap up but you, you but there's something else i wanted to uh, to ask you based on what you just uh, said what is this is a uh, uh, guest of honors an original screenplay by you you've also done uh adaptations of of novels like the sweeter after and uh, and you've done movies based in in on real events like Ararat and, and the devil's not what's the, how does the approach differ?
1: Um, well, there's less responsibility, uh, to actual characters who, uh, I mean, I think when you're doing stories based on, on real events, you, you do feel the sense of responsibility and, and, uh, you know, certainly I felt that with Ararat, um, uh, uh, and with Devil's Knot, it was very unusual because there had been these documentaries, and the documentaries, which are excellent, but they all um, point the finger at, at, at a suspect that they feel should be, you know, is, is the person who committed this terrible crime, you know, killing these three young boys in a swamp in, 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 um, in West Memphis so like this, this this inexplicable crime and really inexplicable because like they never found you know there's never footprints or blood samples uh, the leaves were uh, you know uh, completely un, untouched like it was almost a ghostly like this this crime scene of these three young boys found naked and bound in a swamp and so there needed to be an explanation the the the, the documentaries you know all were focused around a suspect that should have been followed But the challenge in that film was like 20 years after the event, when I shot it, like there was going to be no conviction. Like the, the way that plea was actually, you know, the Alford plea where the, where the, the the West Memphis three, these three young teenagers that were, that were charged were, were finally released from prison. Like there will be no further. So it will never be solved. And I felt that here's a great opportunity to deal with a circumstance where there is no resolution and it's a horrible crime. And, uh, and I felt, I felt you do feel a responsibility in that case. And that in and that some ways, it, it just allow, it doesn't allow you to have the same kind of um, exploration as when you're dealing with something which is an original story. I mean, an original story allows you, you know, like you have your only responsibility is really to your own imagination. Um, and, 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 and you don't feel that you're actually affecting other people's lives, which you do definitely when you're making a film like Devil's Knot or Errat, At, um, you know, it's interesting when you say "Sweet Hereafter" because that Russell Banks did base that novel on on, on a bus crash that happened in Texas. But by the time you know it had been filtered through the book, and then it finally got to the film, that was that was so far removed that I felt no connection to that actual event.
0: Well, uh, thank you so much for for uh, giving us your time. Like I uh, like I said uh, to the listeners, guest of honor, which I highly recommend, is available uh, through uh, virtual cinemas through Kino's Marquee. Um, and, uh, other than that, I'm, uh, you can find my review of it at battleship uh, this week. Also, uh, if you're looking for a review, I reviewed the painted bird, uh, Vaclav Marhul's, uh, film. That's at battleship com. I'm at David at battleship on Twitter at Davey pretension. Uh, Adam, thank you again so
1: much for, for your thank time. You.
0: Yeah. Is- thank you. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know?
1: No, I just want to know that your earbuds look great. So you want to, <laughs> why don't you use this opportunity to pitch them again? Tweakedaudio.com. Uh, tweaked oh, yeah, I will, <laughs> I, I, I will. Looking at how wonderful they are and just imagining how good the sound is gets me yeah. so excited that I want to buy a pair myself. Oh, great. That, there would, you that, go. that would help us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you again. Thank you. Um, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, same to you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you at home for listening. And check Bye. out the hockey film. Oh yes. Gross misconduct. Okay, great. All Bye. Right. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>